This episode of the Premium Pete Show is brought to you by Bevel, the first and only shaving system designed specifically for coarse, curly hair, and sensitive skin. Internets, it's the holiday season. Get your significant other, your friend, your your cousin, whoever it is, get them a Bevel. If you've never even heard of Bevel, okay, I want you to pull out your phone right now. I want you to open up your laptop, okay? Check out getbevel.com forward slash Pete. For a limited time, get 20% off your next shipment with Bevel. Promo will be automatically applied at checkout. Internets, if I ever did anything for you, okay, if I ever, if you ever fucked with a Premium Pete show, if you ever like, yo, how can I support Premium Pete? Go over to getbevel.com forward slash Pete. Tell them Premium Pete show sent you. Cheer. Internets, this Premium Pete show episode is also brought to you by Skillshare. Okay, I don't, I don't want to stop putting you on to things that I mess with. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 20,000 classes. Okay, they deal with business, design, technology, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, data science, mobile photography, creative writing, you name it, they got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Let me tell you, I always say this, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. There ain't nothing wrong with learning something, okay? Keep an open mind, learning something new every day. If you could take the time to perfect your craft, Skillshare is there to make you learn that, okay? I want you to join millions of students already learning on Skillshare today. And that's right. Let me tell you something. I'm going to put you on. You're going to get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Premium Pete Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. If I ever did anything for you, okay, sign up right now. Go to Skillshare.com slash Premium Pete. Again, go to Skillshare.com. Dot com slash premium Pete to start your two months now. Cheer. Internets, before we get to this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show, shouts to everybody who checked out last week's episode with the one and only Stretch Armstrong. Let me tell you, that episode was, was hearing Stretch talk about growing up in New York City, um, you know, becoming a DJ, forming with Bobito, and creating the legendary Stretch and Bobito, the radio that changed lives. I mean, look, they introduced so many artists to us. Stretch is a legend. I'm so uh, proud that we were able to, you know, hear his journey and go over it. If you haven't checked that episode out, make sure you do that. And, you know, whenever I say open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, check the fuck in. Let me know who you're listening to. Let let me know where you're listening from, okay? You may sometimes, listen, shouts to everybody checking in all over the world, okay? I I, I seen last week, I seen uh, Sydney, Australia, seen Tokyo, I seen Melbourne, uh, so shout out to London, you know, even all in the States. And, and, and I love, you know, sometimes you have like truck drivers or, you know, people working at night who, you know, maybe a road trip, wherever you get in, I appreciate you listening. And more importantly, I hope that it's doing something for you. I hope that when you listen to an episode that you're learning that a lot of these people I'm introducing to you, cause it's not just, you know, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, it, it, it's people from all walks of life. That could inspire you to know that, hey, listen, if I want to start my own business, if I want to do this, yeah, you could do that, okay? It, it, it's, not, it's, it's not as hard as you think if you put the work in, okay? So, and, and, you know, I want to take a moment to go to my Instagram where I always put some shit up sometimes. You know, I'll be on my Pastor Pete shit. But uh, at Premium Pete, the other day I put, uh, never stop believing in you. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Never stop believing in you. Because I say this, there, there will be bumps in the road ahead and you may get knocked down. But never stop believing in you, okay? Because, uh, you know, it could always be worse. I know sometimes when people go through shit, people are like, yo, it could always be worse. And that's not what you want to hear at that moment. 
But trust me, life is not promised. Okay, you may not wake up tomorrow. So again, I'm gonna say it could always be worse. Listen, I also want to let the internet know we on YouTube. Besides being on Spotify, uh, you know, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc., audio, SoundCloud, uh, podcast wise, we also have full videos. A bunch of a bunch of your favorite episodes as full videos on our YouTube channel. Search Premium Pecho. Subscribe, rate, leave a comment, tell a friend to tell a friend. Stop fucking around. Happy holidays, Internet. Where's the Coquito at? Let me know. You know, even when you at me on uh, Premium P, Premium P Show, let me know what you're eating, okay? Let me, you know, let me know what the holidays are looking like. What are you spending? Let me tell you what I'm looking forward to. I come from a big Italian family, okay? You know this. If you were just finding out for the first time, we don't fuck around. Feast of Seven Fishes on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a beautiful thing. You understand? Okay? You want to see all the pictures? Go to my Instagram, at Premium P. Internet, so let me tell you something. This week's episode is, is, is super inspiring. Okay, I really admire this dude. CEO Charlie, Charlie Rocket Jabway. Charlie, uh, you know, uh, along with two other, um, you know, very talented individuals, started a legendary uh, management label out of Atlanta called Street Execs. Okay, they had that boy Two Chains on there, won Grammys. Okay, TJ Porter, uh, Bankroll Fresh. I mean, so many different people. Okay, and he left that business to focus on his weight. Charlie has always been challenged of being overweight. He's over 300 pounds, and he just wanted to change his life around. So he left a $15 million a year business, managing two chains and more, winning Grammys to focus on his health. Okay? Then he got a brain tumor. Beat that. Then Nike gave him an iron. Listen, dude doing marathons and Ironman. It's insane, okay? And and it's real. You know what I really like because sometimes people don't realize, and I have a couple of friends who are overweight, how important or how tough that is to be overweight, and how hard it is to stay healthy. I mean, I joke around, I call myself half-ass healthy because sometimes I'm trying to be healthy and sometimes I'm I'm not because it's it's not easy. And there's a depression that comes along with it, and there's and, and there's some real truth to it, okay? This is a great success story, a great journey. A really, really great episode. Internets, I present to you the Charlie CEO, the Charlie Rocket Jabbily episode of the Premium P Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the other smooth voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go, Internets. Let's turn up one time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show. Show was milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting down with a very inspiring dude, man. Uh, a, a good fella, as I like to say. Listen, okay, we could say so many things. Uh, you know, somebody who we'd say is uh, an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. We'd say an Iron Man uh, Ward, a winner. Does that make sense? Iron Man finisher. Finisher, okay. It would have been nice okay. to win, but okay. I came in second to last place. Okay, well, we'll find out about that. Um, listen, you, you know you know what? Before we even get into bringing you on, okay, I, you know, in your Instagram bio, which is Charlie, okay, mm-hmm. we'll find out how the hell you just got Charlie, okay? You say, I'm here to teach the world how to believe bigger and dream crazy. Reversing my brain tumor, lost 130 pounds, transform a million lives, Right? So right off the bat, okay, I got the one and only 
Charlie Rocket. Help me with your last name again. Jabbly. I got to say that again. I got the one and only Charlie Rocket Jabbly. Listen, let me tell you something. What does that mean, the IG bio that I just said? The IG bio. This is the thing people do with their IG bios. They always just try to put their credentials Mm -hmm. on how elite they are. And when you look at somebody's IG bio, you gotta you gotta speak to their soul because and and we'll get I want to talk about this actually sure. like with marketing and and the culture of hip hop and the culture of just our our, our country, but the IG bio to dream crazy to believe big like these are the things that people aren't talking about and transforming lives like I come from hip hop like I left hip hop to dedicate my life to transforming people's lives because when I was in a dark place and in hip hop we can't ever talk about things that are wrong. Like, I was depressed, and I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and I was over uh, 305 pounds. But I had to be this, like, strong, like, CEO Charlie, like, entrepreneur, business guy, I'm tough, like, just suck it up mentality. Suck it up 24 hours a day. But I was dying on the inside, and I was broken, and I needed somebody to look up to. Mm. And there was nobody Mm. who was just authentic and real that I could look up to to get me out of the mess. So when I was in my dark place, I said to myself, when I get out of this hole, I'm going to go be the guy who I wish existed when I was in a bad place. Mm. That's a beautiful thing. Listen, they don't make them like you anymore. Listen, for people who listen who don't know, okay, who Charlie Rocket Jabbly is, okay, we could say the, uh, was it co-founder of Street Execs? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now explain to people who listen who may not even know what Street Execs is. Street Execs was one of the biggest management firms in hip hop. Uh, started off with Travis Porter, mm-hmm. Two Chains, uh, Bankroll Fresh, R.I.P. Rest in peace. Young Dolph, Cap One, Schooly. You know, in Atlanta we had you know one of the biggest studios in Atlanta, and you know we st- put our stake in the ground. Like, sure. just, just uh, three guys came together to be some great managers. Who are those guys? That- Tech, Al, and me. Now, now let me ask you, how does that even happen? Like, how does somebody like you in Atlanta, mm-hmm. along with Tech and Al, mm-hmm. form street executive? Like, how does that even happen? Man, let's rewind a little bit. In high school, I was always entrepreneurial, and uh, my friends started rapping. And I saw, like, I was, I was like, man, this hip-hop thing is, you know, I'm, I'm just a kid. I'm like, this hip-hop thing is where it's at. Like, I would, like, try to play my dad and my mom some music. They're just like, I just don't get it. And I said, no, this is going to be the biggest thing in the world. Sure. And now we see, you know, fast forward, you know, 15 years, and we see hip-hop is number one grossing sure. genre. Sure. And I looked at the Spotify USA top 50 songs. 42 of the top 50 were hip-hop records. And I was like, ah, we were part of that. You know, we were part of making that happen. And I saw an article that came out the other day that uh, 70% of the top 10 records in 2018 on the Billboard charts were hip-hop records. 70. Mm. Like, that's such a massive number. But back in high school, I said, Ma, like, hip-hop, I'm going to put a studio in my... uh, in my bedroom, I lived across the street from the high school. So we would always have basketball tournaments at my house. And everybody would go from playing basketball to going in the house. And we'd put like 15 people on a song and like go back outside. And I was like, um, business. Okay, let's, let's build a website to feature all these independent artists. And the dance craze in Atlanta was, was going crazy. 
And I picked up a camera. I was filming videos, original content. Like YouTube was brand new. We're like making vlogs. And uh, one day I got a call from Interscope Records. And they said, we have an artist who wants to take you on tour. And I was like, oh, this is, this is great. Who is it? Soldier Boy. Mm. He's like, he's a big fan. And I was, I was aware of who he was because he was in Mississippi. We were in Atlanta. He would always kind of study what we were doing in Atlanta. And uh, I had to ask my mom, I want to drop out of college. I was living in her basement. I was broke. Like, I was just like, you know, a cameraman. And uh, dropped out of college, went on tour with Soldier Boy. And it was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. The hottest song in the world, the whole wave. And I ended up getting fired. Mm, why? Um, cameramen aren't exactly supposed to tell their boss when they're messing up. And I felt like I was the man. I was like, you wanted me as your cameraman. Like, he was doing things I didn't agree with, and I would tell him. Mm. He didn't like that. You mm. know, he, he was a big superstar. He didn't like that. I didn't know any better. I got fired. Go right back to my mom. Mom got fired. You know, the, sorry about the whole college thing, but I'm going to be a manager because that's where the money's at. Like the whole cameraman thing, that wasn't it. I was like, I'm going to be a manager. And uh, she said, what do you know about managing rappers? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And I found this girl group in Atlanta and I was dreaming big. They were they were like Disney mixed with outcast. Like it was mm. like they were colorful. I was like picturing like a, a young Disney outcast girl group. And I got them signed to Interscope Records. Interscope loved me. Even though Soulja Boy didn't like me, Interscope was like, that guy right there, he knows his stuff. And uh got him on the radio, 106 and Park, all this stuff. And I got a phone call one day. Yeah, um, we're going to fire you. Mm. I'm like, again? why? You're getting fired again? You're getting fired again. Mm. They're like, well, you know, we're big now, and we need an industry manager, and you're 18 years old. And I'm like, okay, I kind of understand, but this, I'm the, the, like, you know, like I'm trying to reason with them, like let us both manage or something. And I had to go right back to my mom's basement. Mm. And I was I was depressed for a while, and... It was tough. It was, um, uh, but I had this vision in my head. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put my suit on. I'm gonna get my briefcase. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take CEO Charlie, and I'm gonna be a business guy. And I'm never gonna tell anybody my age again. And I found this group on the east side of Atlanta named Travis Porter, mm. and I said, we're not gonna sign a record deal. I didn't want their heads to blow up too fast. I said, we're gonna do it independent. And I drove from every radio station, from Jackson, Mississippi to Washington, D.C. We took three records, top 20 in the country, without a record deal and without money. Just pure imposing our will, pure obsession. And uh, that's when we were at a music video shoot. And this guy walked in the room and the climate changed. It was a Lil Wayne music video shoot. And this guy walked in, six foot six, looked like a, a pharaoh, royalty. Mm. And everybody stopped what they were doing. It, it, that didn't happen when Lil Wayne walked in. Like it was, you know, obviously Lil Wayne's mega superstar. But it was something different when this guy walked in. It was Titty Boy. Mm. And uh, me and my business partners, Tech and Al, uh, Tech had a relationship with him. He had did one of his mixtapes. Tech was a DJ. And uh, 
And we approached, we approached Two Chains, and we said, man, we want to manage you. And he laughed at us. He had in his mind a vision for somebody else in the industry to manage him, and he put us all together. He looked at me, Tech, and Al as more like his street team guys. Like, I was like this, like, you know, 20-year-old, you know, 300-pound, like, uh, fake suit wearing like I was just wearing like Joseph A. Bank suits trying to look professional. <laughs> Tech was a, a DJ and and Al was, you know, a southern boy from Savannah, like, you know, kind of from the streets, you know. And he just looked at us as like people who understood marketing but not management material. But we didn't ask for permission. We wanted to show him what we could do. And we man we took we took two chains from that twenty five hundred a show, up to you know one hundred fifty thousand a show, and you know I remember one time it was the uh, Sirius Satellite uh, Top Fifty charts, how many their most played songs, and uh, either our songs or our features. We were on thirty out of the top fifty, mm. and we just worked so hard. I think that year two chains did about two hundred fifty shows, and we were just we were just scrapping. We had something to prove. We wanted to put our stake in the ground of Atlanta hip-hop history, and we wanted to be one of the best management companies. We would hire employees ourselves out of our money. We would build studios ourselves. So when an artist had us as a manager, they would get cameramen. They would get website designers. They would have attorneys, accountants, big studios with full-court basketball courts and private chef kitchens. Like We wanted to be known as... The managers who are of amazing of amazing service to their client, and we took a lot of pride in our clients never wanting to leave. Mm. You know that's crazy. So how did you take? You know when you say you took to, you know making twenty five hundred to one hundred fifty thousand. How did? But how does that happen? Like how does that? You know because that's not as simple as it sounds. You know it's not. I remember I passed out a lot of CDs. That was our formula. The CDs like we like I've always been great at Internet stuff, but the physical world is where it's made being in front of people's faces. And I remember one time two chains walked out of the club. This was very early in our relationship. Uh, it wasn't all the way established that we were going to be his manager. And he walked out of the club, club figure eight in the bad part of town in Atlanta, southwest side of Atlanta. And it was raining wintertime, cold. And he walks out. And he looks over and he sees me passing out CDs in my suit, in the rain, chasing people down. I wouldn't trust people to pass out CDs for me because street teams, uh, they get a little lazy. CDs end up in the back of their car. Nobody, nobody knows. So I would want to do it myself because we had to make it work. I was, I was broke. Sure, sure, I get it. So every night we'd pass out hundreds of thousands of CDs and worked every relationship. The college, we would boil pots of water. That was the secret. Now, if I asked you, Pete, boil a lake, mm. could you do it? Um, I wouldn't even know how to fuck How do you boil a lake? That's what most people try to do in their marketing. They're like, oh, we got to get hot in a massive, massive way, right? But if I gave you a pot of water, can you boil it? Mm -hmm. Then you add a little bit of water to that. And that boiling water makes that water hotter. And technically, you can just keep adding to that pot. And technically, you can get to a lake size using it that way. So we would start with one club. Then we'd take one neighborhood. Then we'd take one side of town. And then we'd take those DJs. And we wouldn't just MP3 email those DJs. I'd put together packages. 
And I would call the DJs. I said, what's your address? And they would try to give me their email address. I said, I said no, 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 what's your mailing address? And they would open up this package. And on this side of the box was a nicely folded, beautiful hoodie that says, salute the DJ with uh-huh. their name on the back. And then on this side is another little box. And when they open it is a CD and stickers you know, that they can put on their laptop. But it just set the tone that we were so serious. And everything we did, we wanted to just do what the others weren't. You MP3, we send a package. You make a phone call, I pull up to the radio station on the side of a highway in Macon, Georgia, or drive for three days all the way up to Washington, D.C., going to all radio stations in between and taking DJs out to lunch. Those were the things that added up. It wasn't easy, but the thing that truly broke 2 chains was something that we didn't even do. We hit a tipping point where we were pushing a record called Spend It. I'm riding around, I'm getting it. It's mm. mine, I'm spending it. And it was doing okay, but we were just pushing. Like, people weren't believing in us, especially Atlanta. Atlanta was slow. New York was on 2 chains before Atlanta was. Like, in New York really embraced us, but we were having a hard time just taking over the city of Atlanta. But there was one day that happened, BET Hip Hop Awards in Atlanta, and there was an argument between Diddy and T.I. in the club. Arguing about Ciroc or something. Like, just they were just yelling at each other. And in between the argument, the DJ dropped Spend It. And then they're arguing, and then the DJ drops Spend It again. Then it drops it again, and it ended up on World Star. And that one little thing took our record national, and we never looked back since. They gave us an inch, and we took mm. an Iron Man. May God bless you. <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. That's that, that's a beautiful story. Listen, Charlie, man. As people, you know, get to know you more and more from this episode, those that know you are happy to hear the journey. Mm-hmm. Those who don't know you, man, they're going to be inspired. Let's take it back for a second. Growing up, you grew up in Atlanta. I did. Right? Mom and dad, you you lived with? Yeah, mom and dad. Mom sold vacuum cleaners. Dad was like a carpenter and worked on houses and cars in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Did you have a good relationship with them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Family's great. You know, they they taught me about money. Mm. What do you mean by that? uh, My parents never made more than $40,000 a year combined. Mm. But they took every penny they had and invested it. My mom was just a vacuum cleaner salesman, but they got to the point over 30 or so years where they would save up to buy a little rental property. And they owned seven houses. Mm. But in the wintertime, my dad wouldn't let us turn on the heat. And it's, it gets cold in Atlanta. And I would have to, like, change my clothes underneath the underneath eight quilts on my bed. And then I got smart and realized, oh, I should just turn the heat on in the shower, turn the shower on, on hot, and then just change clothes in the, in, the, in the bathroom. Because my dad wanted to save that money because he had a, a financial goal that he was trying to get to. And I didn't have a pair of jeans till I was in high school. I would just wear basketball shorts like we would shop at thrift stores and I didn't feel like I was doing without because I liked the business. So I understood what my parents were doing and I wanted to do it, too. So I would go out and cut grass and I was like, Dad, like teach me about stocks. And I did a stock competition and the very first stock I bought was Nike and me, my dad and my grandfather. I'm eight. I'm eight years old and I wanted to buy Nike. It was to me it was dope like it's like they were scared because the stock was doing so bad 
And uh, this is like mid-90s. Sure. And the stock wasn't doing good at all. But I was like, that's where Michael Jordan is. And I won the stock competition, and it was the best stock I ever owned. But I was fascinated by money. And, and, and even though we didn't have, like, fancy things, watching money grow made me feel like I had something. So I didn't feel like I was doing without. Mm. Let me tell you, you know, when, when you look back and you think about, like, what mom and dad taught you. And sometimes it's crazy because sometimes parents teach you without even trying. It, it's their, you know, like, it, it's like this is how they're living, mm-hmm. you know. This is the standards that they're living in, too. You know, it's funny too because it's like, you know, I I, I pulled up on uh, Charlemagne at a at a at a book. Um, he had a book, um, mm-hmm. a book uh, signing, and he was talking about, par- you know, parental uh, or parent uh, anxiety. Mm. And I was like, shit, I never thought of that because it's like when you think about it, your parents try to do the best they could do for you, but at the same time, they're living their own life. They got their own problems, their own issues, their own whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, look, I got an eighteen-year-old daughter and a four-year-old, uh, almost four-year-old son. You know, I can't sit here and, and and tell you that there weren't times where I've been super depressed. But then I'm like, fuck, what I'm, you know, you got to do it for them, you know. So you know, it's it's funny when you say like about not having a, you know, a pair of jeans and not having this because hopefully, and it has, it makes you more happier and blessed to have what you could have now and to do more for yourself than they could have done or even tried to help them or prove to them. You know, uh, were both your parents, were they like uh, overweight or were they? My mom was overweight. Okay. Uh, and is that something that was like in her family or? Yeah. Yeah. I take after her side of the family. I look like her. It's always been a struggle. Like I had been overweight since I was eight years old. Mm. So it was always a battle. I remember my first diet. Mm. You know, I what, what, what was that? How, how how do you go on a diet at eight years old? What does yeah, that mean? Like like starve. Mm. Like oh, that like you chose to eat. do that? Yes. Like I want to, cause I, I my dream was to be an athlete. Like mm. when you're eight, you, you society you don't think about cars and you know fancy things. You just have your dream. It's just your true pure dream. I wanted to be an athlete. That's it. What but kind of athlete? I love basketball. Mm, mm. Like that was my thing. Charlie from three point line. Oh, we got a story. Okay. Buckets. Big Charlie Buckets. buckets. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, uh, why did they... First of all, your name's Charlie straight up. That's not like a handle? Mm-mm, that's my name. Okay. You know, hey, listen, some people have different handles. But where did Rocket come from? Okay. So, when I was eight, and I wanted to be an athlete, and I was struggling with my weight, I looked around. These guys, they're good at basketball. These guys, they're good at dancing. And I'm looking at myself, and I'm like chubby. And even though I love basketball, we would play shirts versus skins. And if I got picked as shirts, I'm like dropping out. Like I'm not about to take my shirt off. I'm still to this day. It's it's hard for me, like being being sure. overweight. So I buried my dream, and I said, I'm going to manifest this character. I want to be a businessman, and I'm going to name myself CEO Charlie. And I would dress up as him every single day to school. I put on my suit. I had a briefcase, but I wanted to use that. Like to me, it was like the law of attraction. It's like if I want to, if I want to be it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about it, and I'm gonna live it, and I'm gonna get it. And that's what happened. I became CEO Charlie. And then I got good at business. 
And I created, I became a millionaire, created a big hip-hop company, won Grammys, world tours. And when I got to 300 pounds and diagnosed with a brain tumor, I realized I was stuck in a trap. When I buried my dream, I created something that trapped me. It wasn't my purpose. Stress was a trigger that led to food. Success was a trigger of celebration that led to food. And deal-making was a trigger, breaking bread, that led to food. And I was trapped, and I was going to die. So I wanted to reinvent my entire life. So I walked away from my business. And I remember when I told my business partners and when I told 2 Chains, I'm going to walk away, I'm going to reinvent my life. They said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be an athlete. That was my dream. I'm going to do it. So well, how are you going to make money? I said, I'm going to figure it out. I don't know, but I have to do this. So I went back to that eight-year-old Charlie who gave himself a name and wanted to dress up as somebody. So I said, I'm going to come up with an athlete name for myself, Charlie Rocket. And he's got his outfit. He's got his glasses. He's got his headband with the rockets. He's got his bright, colorful color. And I would dress up as him every day because that is what attracted and kept me accountable to what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an athlete. And I said I was going to do an Ironman. And everybody thought I was crazy because I made a contract to myself. And I put it on my refrigerator. And I said, I'm going to be top 1% of athletes in the world. And what is the most difficult feat in the world for an athlete to do? An Ironman, 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and then run a full marathon, 26.2-mile run. And it took me 10 months of training. I lost 130 pounds. I went vegan. I moved to California. I changed everything about my life. I changed what I was consuming mentally, consuming, you know, food-wise, consuming energy-wise. I changed everything I was consuming. And I reinvented my life. And now, here I am, I can say I'm an athlete. I'm a Nike athlete at that. I was able to be, and we could tell the story about, like, I was in the Colin Kaepernick commercial. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was essentially who Nike named the commercial after because my tagline is Dream Crazy. I made a fan-made Nike commercial called Dream Crazy. And if you look at the Kaepernick commercial on YouTube, what did they title it? Mm-hmm. Dream Crazy. Now, did, 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 so, so you were in exactly in that Kaepernick video, too? I was in it. So yeah. they called you for it? Yeah. So we've been working together since February. You know, when, when, you, when you, you know, you have a crazy uh, journey, man. You know, when you, when you tell your partners, like, yo, I'm out of here. Um, I know you say you wanted to be an athlete, mm-hmm. and I get it. But more so, you wanted to kind of change your life. I did. Right? I did. Because, you know... Um, Charlie's not going to play for the Golden State Warriors. Absolutely not. But he's going to do things to change his life around. Lose weight. Mm-hmm. Work on his depression. Mm-hmm. Work on, work on uh, you know, the, the, the things he probably couldn't do when he's young. Right. You know, now you say, well, let me tell you, you're also a, good, a very good storyteller. So sometimes when people are good storytellers and then also go through all these issues, it sounds, you know, again, like I'm saying, it sounds simple. You know, to lose all that weight, to go vegan, to run a marathon, you know, to, a lot of training takes place. It does. But more importantly, how did you fight 
those, you know, th- those demons that got in your way. Because, look, people want to stop smoking cigarettes, and it calls them. You know, I quit smoking cigarettes. 17 years I smoked Newport 100. Mm. I quit cold turkey. Seven plus years I haven't smoked a cigarette. Quit. I don't plan on ever going back. Now, but the withdrawal. The withdrawals were crazy. Yeah. I remember my ears being hot and red and angry and frustrated. I remember I was chewing so much fucking gum, I thought my teeth were going to fall out. Mm-hmm. But I did it. But not everybody has that, that willpower. What the fuck held you uh, to do all those things? What held you to stay strong to be like, yo, and, and, and I don't only mean for your body, for your mind, but even your pocket. Because most people won't leave a situation having a multi-million dollar company and just fucking leave. And did you even, and I think I was asking before, and it's up to you how you feel you share it, but you, don't, you, you, you fully laugh. You don't have any peace or, no or peace. any you know, ownership anymore or nothing. You just fully laugh. I, I love my business partners so much. Like, I, I'm, I'm happy for them mm-hmm. because I knew they were going to be okay. Like, I knew they were going to do just fine because God's got them. Like, like there's a shield around 2 Chains. Like, he's he he resurrects all the time. Like, 2 Chains has 20 million lives. And my business partners, they're geniuses. I knew they were going to be fine without me. So that's why I had I had to protect myself. And there was one thing I said because it was, it was a tough conversation. It was, it was tough. And I said, this isn't my practice life. This is my only one. And when I said that is when they understood what I was what I was going for, mm. that I only got one shot at this. And when I was in my darkest place, it was almost like I closed my eyes. I was sitting on a beach in Malibu. Just I was just called to just nature. And I would sit on the beach literally for like 10 hours. And I sat there and I closed my eyes. And I was like I was in a movie theater looking at the screen. Have you ever seen a movie with a terrible ending, like The Avengers, like where everybody died and you just like walk out and it's like, well, this is a terrible movie. What the fuck movie. happened? Like yeah. that's, this movie sucked. Like why would it end like that? <laughs> that's how I felt. Mm. And I was like, my story isn't over yet. That can't be it. What I saw in my eyes, that can't be it. What I've lived can't be it. And I wanted to reinvent myself. And I knew if I dedicated my life to helping Others, I'd be taken care of. Mm. A lot of what's happened, like the Nike deal and being in all this stuff, I biked across America, all this stuff is a bit bigger than me. Like in my business life, it was always me doing something equaled something. One plus one equals two. But since I've been dedicating my life to like inspiring and helping and not asking for anything in return, it's been one plus one has equaled like five mm. or ten. And there's things bigger than me happening that I can't say I did. I showed up. But to go back to your question of how did I approach it, the first thing, I made a contract to myself. In my life, I would always let myself down. I'd make a resolution and I would let myself down. But this time, I wanted to weave a web of accountability. I've made a contract, and I told everybody around me, I'm going to do this Ironman. I'm going to be an athlete. And, and it, it became my identity to where 
let's say we're at a party, right? Or we're here at the studio and you introduce me to somebody. He said, oh, this Charlie, oh, he's training for an Ironman. Oh, for real? That's dope. Like, oh, man, that's going to be amazing. Where is it? Oh, it's in New Zealand. Da, 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 da. You just weaved a web of accountability for me to somebody else. But let me say, what if I just said, Pete, I'm going to wake up and run every day. You introduce me to somebody, you're not going to tell them, oh, this is Charlie. He wakes up and runs every day. You wouldn't do that. It's not, it doesn't become your identity. I wanted to pick something so difficult that the people around me would be proud of me. And I couldn't let them down. There's a quote. It says, being lazy is disrespectful to the people who believe in you. And me creating this big, bold goal and telling everybody and sharing that energy and weaving this web and me getting stuck in the web, I couldn't not do it. Where in the past, I would always do things behind closed doors, not really going to tell people my resolutions and just go about my life. But I would make a promise to myself and I would let myself down. But if I told you I was going to do something, I'm going to do it. But why do we let ourselves down so much? It's a great, it's a great, great analogy. You know, people take food addiction as like a joke, you know, but obviously it's, it's, it's not a joke. It's a hell of a thing to be addicted to. And people, all sorts of people have all sorts of addictions and food, it sounds really soft. Like, oh, addicted to food, you know, eat less. Man, I'll tell you what, it really, really sucks being addicted to something you need to live. You don't need porn to live. You don't need cocaine to live. Nothing. Everybody's addiction is serious. But to need food and be surrounded by it 24 hours a day, and that's the thing you're addicted to? I would have nights. I would eat 10, 15,000 calories. I would, I, would do a, I would call it the gas station tour. I would go to this gas station because they would have the Krispy Kreme donuts. And then... I would go to the other gas station right afterwards because they would have the Mrs. Fields cookies. And then I'd beat myself up so much that I, I messed up on my diet. So, so, so the thing with, with the food addiction is it, it's triggered by dieting because you're always doing without. Like when you diet, Pete, if I tell you, uh, breathe less in the next three minutes. You could breathe less, but then what's going to happen? <laughs> you're going to catch up your breaths. And that's where that food addiction is triggered. When you are doing without something, you then strengthen the addiction and then you binge eat or you overdose. And I would do these tours and I would beat myself up so much. It's like tripping down one step and I'm going to, I'm going to push myself down the rest. So I get so sick that I'll never want to do it again. I'd eat 10, 15,000 calories. I remember one night I drove to Memphis to meet with Young Dolph. I was courting Young Dolph. I wanted to manage Young Dolph. And I went to Memphis and I went in a button down shirt and I binge ate that night so bad. I ate so much cheesecake. Like what? Oh, cheesecake. On, it's always sweets and it was always junk food. I would never go to a restaurant because I would never do it in public. I would sit in my car behind closed doors. 
I'll sit in my car and I'll eat. Then I'll go somewhere else and do it until I got so sick. And I woke up the next morning in Memphis and my skin was so bruised because I expanded so much. I remember I felt my head throb, my whole body throbbing, my, 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 my skin was bruised all over my body. If I just touched myself, it would hurt. It's really sick, Pete. Mm. And it's happening to so many people and nobody talks about it. But seven out of ten Americans, and especially in hip-hop, seven out of ten Americans are overweight or obese. Now, that's a big number, and I don't want us to just glaze over the fact seven out of ten are overweight or obese. In hip-hop, we face, you know, some violence sometimes. And, like, sometimes my aunts and uncles would be worried you know, I'm a white guy. You know, they're like school teachers, and they would call me like, we're worried about you. I said, listen, food will kill me before a gun ever will. There's only 22,000 gun deaths a year, which is a huge amount. But cardiovascular deaths, 600,000. There's more violence going on in our kitchens than what y'all are worrying about with hip-hop. Y'all are worrying about the wrong thing. I will die from food long before I'll die from a gun death. Mm. Mm. Man, let me tell you, people drop gems all the time when they come on a premium Petro. I never heard that food, hip-hop type reference like that. That was a gem, my friend. You know, um, you know, one of the things that I can't even understand, and I mean, I, I feel like I do have, we all have addictions, and we all have addictive personalities sometimes. Um, what, you know, even with you, you know, I've been watching you over time, and you know, inspire people, uh, deal with your own depression, mm -hmm. uh, deal with your own weight loss. But, you know, I know you say that you deal with depression a, a, a lot. What is, have you found like a, a, a balance? Like meaning like where you can be somewhat happy because the reason why I say this for is you lost a lot of weight. You've done a lot of things. I'm sure you're hard on yourself. But at the end of the day, nothing will ever be perfect. Charlie will not be, uh, uh, you know, a Calvin Klein model uh, that needs to be a certain size. Mm -hmm. You could be a Calvin Klein model for who you are mm -hmm. and if they want that. So the point I'm trying to make to you is, is I've learned this. In, even in life, I, I've learned, like, nothing is I'm – a, I'm a perfectionist who's not perfect. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what am I doing? I need to – and I feel like people need to find a happy medium. A, some type of balance in their life. Have Have you found any balance yet? I haven't, man. Okay. I struggle with it. Um, it's It's the it's it's tough, you know, coming on a, a podcast or being interviewed and being looked at as an expert. And I'll be the first to say I'm not an expert. I've achieved things, but if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see like. I'm just real about my journey, and there's things I deal with. I never would have thought. My happiness, me and Scott were talking about this earlier. My happiness comes and goes based on how much I'm growing. And I thought about this, and I said, the universe is ever-expanding. Like at one point, it was like a little boom, exploded, and it's ever-expanding, and it's still expanding, and it's still expanding. And I said, the only time I'm happy is when I'm expanding, when I'm growing. When I'm not, I feel like I'm going against the flow of the universe. And if I'm sitting still, and there's a quote, even water, if it sits still long enough, 
starts to stink. And that's how I feel. I know I'm pure, but if I sit still, I'm not pure. I've got to be moving in some direction of progress with the universe. If it's expanding constantly, if the earth is always moving constantly and the sun, everything is moving, and I feel like I'm sitting still, I feel like I'm swimming upstream. That's when I'm least happy. When I get some forward momentum, my happiness turns back on. But, Pete, I haven't found the balance. I'm always searching, and I'm always searching, and I battle with myself. And I said, did God make me this way because he wants me to accomplish so much in my lifetime that he's never going to truly make me happy? Is he using me as a... um, as, a, as an example of, of somebody who's got to leave a legacy of, 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 of talking about the good and the bad and I'll never find happiness just so I keep trying and I'll forever. Because I, I do worry about getting comfortable. I do worry about being happy and hanging it up. I do worry about that, but I haven't figured it out. I struggle with it. I, I, I've been depressed uh, second half of this year, the whole second half, it's been tough for me. You know, I do want to say this, and, and we all go through depression. You're not alone. And uh, it's good to have people around you that you could count on and call upon and, and let know that what you're going through. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, it, people who are alone sometimes in it, you know, are how we lose them. Mm. And, you know, you should never feel like you're alone because you're not. Mm. You know, but more important, the reason why I say that for is because People want to wait until the the greatest moment mm-hmm. to embrace, uh, you know, like you may close a million dollar deal and like, no, no, we don't celebrate. We celebrate when we make the 10 million, but you mm-hmm. may die before mm-hmm. you get there. Yeah. So life is quick. Life is and as corny as it sounds. Life is not promised tomorrow. So we need to embrace what we have. And where we are today. Now, what the point I'm trying to make is, look, you left a multi-million dollar uh, management or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, company, more than management you guys were doing, but I'm saying management company. That's fair. You know, you you achieved more things than you probably ever could believe of. Right? Mm-hmm. You, did you impress yourself? I mean, Iron Man Award, you didn't impress yourself? I fought with myself about I it. I know, but then that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's where... You have to, again, I'm not trying to be a fucking no, doctor please, here. give it to me, But man, I'm saying that's it. where, look, I'll never understand. One of my one of my friends I grew up with, he, he's been overweight his whole life. I argue with him on certain things, but I understand that I'm not overweight, and I can't understand what it's like to be in his body. He doesn't want to come on planes. There's times I had, like, free tickets and free hotels and rooms. I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, come, you know, take, 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 bro. Drop what you're doing. Nah, nah, you know, he's afraid he won't fit in the seat. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he doesn't want to come to games with me, like, you know, basketball games. or It's because he's worried about, you know, I know those seats are uncomfortable. You know, uh, love, you know, I love the beach. I love this. You know, you want to take a shirt off. Mm-hmm. You want to wear shorts. I, I understand that I don't live that, but I understand that. But the point I'm trying to make is, and I'm speaking this for truth, you have been able to inspire a lot of people. You know, you walked away, like I said, from something that most people wouldn't have mm-hmm. to focus on you, to be a better you. Mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is, is somehow, some way, you know, you have to find some moments where you are happy mm-hmm. about where you have gone. You're not get comfortable because you know where you're going. That's right. 
You know, that's like all that. I'm saying. That's, like what, that. that's all I'm saying to you. But you know, let's continue on the journey. You know, how important is it uh, for to sleep? You know, with, with health, like how important is sleep in 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 health? You know, Man, I've been learning a lot about that lately. Mm. Through my year of uh, of frustration, I never would have thought biking across America, doing an Ironman, and running the Chicago Marathon a few weeks ago. I would not lose weight in that period of time. And that sent me to a place of being extremely stressed out because I'm trying harder than ever and I'm not seeing any results. So I'm like, I'm going to do more. So I try harder, not see results. So I'll do more, not see results. So then I'm stressed. I'm stressed from business, stressed from this, not sleeping enough. And I realized maybe my body is in shock from all the stress that I'm undergoing, and if your body is in shock and it's scared, it thinks it's being chased by a bear. think mm. it's going to burn fat if you're being chased by a bear. So what did I do a couple of weeks ago? I told my business partners, I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to sit on a beach by myself, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to relax. And I said, I'm going to sleep. And I would sleep 15 hours a day that week, and I'm, like, lowering my stress levels, I've dropped about five pounds. And I'm like, wow, maybe working harder at a certain point isn't smart. I come from hip-hop where we like grind, 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 grind. So that's just like what I'm made of. Like, I guess that's why I'm a good endurance athlete because it's like hip-hop is an endurance sport. We're going to sleep when we die. We're going to come to New York. We're not going to sleep for four days because we're doing morning radio. They were doing the club. Sure, sure. Like it's an endurance sport. So I was ready for endurance sports because I came from hip-hop. And I never believed in the work smarter, not harder. Never believed in it. I thought it was, you know, bullshit. Bullshit, yeah, sure. But I've gone to the point where I've worked so hard and I'm not seeing it. So I'm like scaling back, I'm sleeping, like taking, regenerating. Mm. Regenerating. And I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm getting my clarity back. Better person. Can't help people if you don't feel sure, good. Sure, sure. Can't help anybody. Sure. So, yeah. It's important, man. You know what? Let's take a quick break, man. We're sitting here with a very inspiring dude, man. The one and only Charlie Rocket Jabale. Did I say that right this time? Perfect. Internet, don't go nowhere, okay? Actually, you know what? At this time, pull up YouTube, put in Charlie Rocket Jabale, check out some of his videos, and tell me you're not inspired, okay? Because you're going to be. Internet, don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Cheers. Internets, we already let you know this episode is brought to you by Bevel. Now I want to put you onto a bunch of more info of why you need a Bevel in your life, okay? The Bevel Trimmer, are you familiar with the Bevel Trimmer? If you're not, go over to getbevel.com forward slash Pete, okay? For a limited time, you get 20% off your next shipment with Bevel. There's so much, listen to me, dermatologist recommended, clinically tested to help reduce and prevent vasor bumps, discoloration, and irritation. Over 90% of Bevel users notice improvement in their skin and razor bump reduction. Okay? Get your Bevel trimmer and shave system today at getbevel.com forward slash Pete. Get 20% off. Happy holidays. Okay? I always tell you, okay, whenever I fuck, I, I just don't do any uh, type of uh, ads or, or sponsorships. I fuck with Bevel, and I want you to fuck with them too. Go to getbevel.com forward slash Pete. Tell them Premium Pete Show sent you. Cheer. 
You already know it's your boy Casanova, man. Mr. Boom Boom Boom. And you locked into the Premium Pete Show, man. Gang, two times. Intense, I already let you know this Premium Pete Show is brought to you by Skillshare. I want to put you on even more. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 20,000 classes, okay? I want to continue and continue for you to, to let you know, to keep an open mind so you can learn, okay? You put 10,000 hours into anything, you can become a professional, and that's where Skillshare comes in, okay? Because you could take classes in social media, marketing, data science, mobile photography, creative writing, you name it, they got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Internets, thanks for all the love over the years. Thanks for all the love for the Premium Pete Show episodes that we've been doing. You know, people always say, yo, Pete, I, man, I appreciate you. Okay, so if you appreciate me, I want you to do me a favor, okay? I want you to go to Skillshare.com slash Premium Pete, okay? Because Skillshare is offering Premium Pete Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. You think I'm kidding with you? To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Premium Pete to get two months unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. Internets, thank me later. Cheer. Now let's get back to the show. Internets, and we're back. Sitting here with Charlie Rocket Jabbily. We good. What happened? Good? You good? No, I was just, I was just didn't know if it was rolling. Oh no, no, we 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 rolling out here, Charlie. <laughs> Listen, giving giving the people, you know, shouts to. I don't know who it was on Twitter. Uh, if he's listening to this or if she's listening to this, but a couple of people hit me and was like, "Yo, y'all gotta be, uh, you know, y'all gotta connect." And and then Charlie has to come on the show. And and then I started to see like a couple of people had emailed me and DM me, and then I was like, "Okay, this guy Charlie." Now I've heard of street execs. And I've heard of what your work, but I never really was connected to you. So I was like, when when I did, I, I'll never forget. And, you know, I watched your YouTube video and uh, Internet, that's why I was telling you to check it out, man. Honestly, man, that shit was so powerful. Uh, your narration of your story on your YouTube video. Thank you, man. That, um, I, I mean, like it literally gave me goosebumps, man. Because, you know, I've been through my struggles in life and, 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 and I see these struggles and, and you know, you relate to them and you feel like, yo, I go through this and I go through that, you know. But one thing I want to see more of, Charlie, because you're amazing on videos, is triumph. Mm. I want to see more videos of triumph, man. Okay. Because, you know, you're doing it. But, you you know, you, you know, and, and, and that's, a, that's something to be proud of, man. Some people don't even make it that far, mm-hmm. you know. Listen, uh, with the Iron Man, why did Nike uh, choose you? Well, I made a film back in February. I wanted to be a Nike athlete, and like how we talked about with two chains managing two chains, like we didn't ask for permission. We just like took the ball, like give me the ball, I'm gonna shoot it. True. So with Nike, I didn't know Nike. I had no relationships at Nike, and I wanted to be a Nike athlete. And I told my business partner, I was like, "Look, like I'm gonna be a Nike athlete," and that might be the most craziest dream like if like like you would almost think somebody was insane like you know overweight you know like non don't play for a sports team not in the olympics doesn't particularly do anything but i had a vision i said nike needs a common man athlete that person is going to be the one who actually gets people to buy shoes and inspires change in sports and i was like nike's mission statement reads if you have a body then you're an athlete i'm like huh I'm going to make a commercial about that. And I 
I got with a videographer and me and him, we got a PVC pipe and we put a belt around me and put a belt around him and he kept the camera the same exact distance from my legs as I was running. So you see my footsteps and the background changes because the camera's the same exact distance. And we put the video together and we made the music and we put the steps and my breathing in the music. <sighs> so it was on beat and it was it was just a it was a commercial that it was two minutes long and I titled it My Story Isn't Over Yet. And I put it on the internet and I said at the beginning of it, I said, I, I hope Nike sees this video and I hope it inspires millions of people. Mm. Put it out. Got a million views in three days. Just went viral. Facebook. It, like People hit that share button. They were inspired. And Nike called me three days later and said, we don't know who you are, but you have our campus in a frenzy. We've got to get you up here immediately. Went to Beaverton, Oregon, and they walked me into this boardroom. And I saw my picture on the big screen. And they gave me a presentation to me about me, about how I inspired them on taking the company in a new direction. And I inspired them and reminded them why they go to work every day. And they said, we have big plans. Sit tight. I didn't know what they had planned. A few months later, they said, we're doing a big commercial. There's going to be a commercial with Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, Serena Williams, you, Odell Beckham Jr. And I would write in my notebook, I believe in law of attraction, and every morning I write in my notebook, uh, starting at the beginning of the year when I wanted to become a Nike athlete, I would always write, Nike wants to work with me. I will be in a commercial with LeBron James and Serena Williams. And I'll write it all the time. And if I told somebody, they would be like, Charlie, you're, you're ridiculous. And when we put out the commercial, 2 chains called me. He said, how'd you take my superpowers? He said, I see what you were talking about when you said you wanted to be an athlete. And I said, you taught me a lot about superpowers because he has superpowers. Mm. Why did you say that? I always thought he was joking around. But he would tell me, he's like, you know, I have powers, right? Like I can like think of something and it'll come true or I'll think of something and somebody will pop up or I'll think about somebody or they'll call me or I want something to happen. and It'll just happen. And at first I was like, you know, hocus pocus, you know, whatever. You're crazy. And over the years, I would see him do it over and over and over. And I was I started believing. And that's why in my bio I said, believe bigger. Because we're always prescribed to dream big. But I wanted to believe bigger. I wanted to take my dream, and I could have limited beliefs about it. Be like, that's my dream, but I'm not really sure if it comes true. Like, that's believing small. Like, I'm not sure. I want it to happen, but... Sure, eh. sure. So I wanted to prescribe to myself these two words that I've never heard anybody say. I've never heard somebody say, believe bigger. I wanted to take my dream and I wanted to believe bigger. And I started telling myself, oh, this is going to be easy. Call my business partner, Scott. Scott, I'm going to be a Nike athlete. It's going to be easy. I'm going to make this video. They're going to see it. Like, I'm going to, like, bike across America. Like, they're going to want to work with me. I, like, made it easy. I told myself it's going to be easy. And I believed that it was possible. 
to where if you believe bigger and you think something's going to be easy, you're actually going to take the step. I'm a delusional optimist. If you're a delusional optimist, you might show up. If you're always pessimistic and, oh, it's going to be so hard, you're going to talk yourself out of it. You're not even going to show up. So I just tell myself things are going to be easy even when things are bad. Oh, man, things are great. We're going to be great. Like it's going boom, boom, boom. And then here comes Nike. And I became a Nike athlete. And I'm working with Nike. Congratulations, my man. Thank you, man. I want you to be happy about that. You know, uh, when you have street execs, what did 2 Chain say to you? He gave me his blessings, man. Um, I think we're so, me, 2 Chains, my business partner's taken out. We're so well-connected. I think they felt something coming. They knew I was sick. They knew I took time away because of my brain tumor and just trying to get my health in order. They knew I always struggled with weight. I was at 2 Chains' house, and I passed out. I mm. woke up. I was in the bed. I was uh, in, his, in one of his guest rooms, and I woke up. And the ceiling just started spinning. And I said to myself, oh, this isn't good. Because I was diagnosed with my brain tumor originally in high school. And it was under control. And then my health just started spiraling out of control. I was just so unhealthy. The things I'm consuming is throwing everything out of whack. And I passed out. I got out of bed, picked up parachutes, passed out, went downstairs, I was uh, I was getting them into merch at the time. We were doing Davin Santa Christmas sweaters and all these things. And I was picking up this box and I almost passed out again. And I went and sat down with him in the studio, the studio in his home. And I said, man, I just, I think something's wrong. Like, I'm scared. Like, I just passed out upstairs. I almost just passed out again. Four days later, I went vegan. I was so scared. Didn't even go to the doctor yet. I just knew everything had to change. And then I told him, I'm vegan. Then he started hearing me talk about God for the first time, like in my life. Like he was noticing, I was at a, I was at a, at a point of I was desperate. Like I was looking for answers, talking about God, being spiritual, I'm vegan, I'm this, like, and yeah. When when it was time for me to walk away from the business, he gave me his blessings, and he was the one that told me. He said. When you said this isn't your practice life, this is your only one, he said, I got it. And he wished me nothing but his best. Mm. And they've been so supportive of me. Like, they've given me nothing but love. Mm. And in business, it could go sour, especially in hip-hop. You don't know how people are going to feel with you walking away. But Tech, Al, 2 Chains, Dolph, everybody's been so supportive. Travis mm. Porter, everybody's been so supportive. You know, do, do you think uh, Travis Porter walks or the Migos could fly? Man, we were so far ahead of our time. Man, let me tell you, like Travis Porter, <laughs> I light up with Travis Porter because that was like when we had nothing and to do what we did when we had no money or no relationships. So I'm very proud of Travis Porter. Um, man, we were so far ahead of our time, man. Streaming wasn't around. Live mixtapes is where we lived. And the difference between Spotify and live mixtapes was live mixtapes wasn't an exponential technology. Spotify is literally in the households of people, millions and millions. It's like a linear business is plus one, plus one, plus one. Uh, uh, exponential business is times two, times two, times two. These tech companies are so, are, their growth is so rapid. And, and with the emergence of hip hop being readily available 
to the world now without having to exactly pay for each song or each CD, we're getting to truly see how people want to consume music. Notice, hip-hop is the only genre that releases music fast. Taylor Swift and those record labels, they're about to have to start having conversations. Like, we're, we're like, losing to these hip-hop guys because people only have two ears. So they can't listen to two songs at once. But with Spotify, we got to see that people don't want to listen to a CD for six months. Like, I used to ride to Jeezy for six months because we had to. But now that Spotify is around, we can listen to a CD once, pull off our two or three songs. We're almost ready for you to drop another CD, Travis Scott. Like, we would consume it right now. We pulled off our five songs we like, and we're ready for another one. I wish we existed in this age because we had great music, but we were just a little too soon. I won't say, like, we paved the way for, you know, Migos. They're super talented. Jesus Christ. They're super talented. Travis Porter was super talented. Mm. I think we were just on the wrong side of the technology curve. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, Bankroll Fresh, rest in peace. Rest in peace. You know, uh, he passed away in the, in the Street Exec studio. He did. You know, uh, you know, and take us through, you know, I don't know if uh, the, where the studio was. You know, I remember hearing things like that. Neighbors were complaining about sound. Yes. Um, a bunch of other shit. How did that affect, uh, you know, the business, meaning that now somebody passed it? What exactly, do you remember that night? Or? I do. I do remember that night. Um, it was it was terrible, man. It's terrible. In business, you know, we're entrepreneurs. Everything we did was positive. Everything. Bankroll wouldn't touch, bankroll wouldn't kill a fly. Like, bankroll has never been a troublemaker. A day in his life, everybody loved him. The sweetest, my mom would come to the studio and she would like to smoke weed. So, like, it's no secret now. She won't, hey, ma, you're not going to be mad when you hear this. But she would come to the studio, smoke weed, and she would always say, out of everybody, Bankroll was just the sweetest, showed me respect, Miss Jabali. Like, Bankroll was the most amazing human being. And to lose him that night was, was so devastating. And we were already... As a business, like, the city was uh, trying to pass a law to shut down studios because of us. And it's like, that would have closed down 70% of studios in the city of Atlanta because the ordinance that they wanted to pass was if you were within a certain feet of residential neighborhoods and all the studios in Atlanta, like Stankonia's gone, all of them gone. Everybody, everybody have to close down. And they were trying to use us as a poster child. But Atlanta stood strong on their music culture. And the lady, the lady who was trying to pass it, she, uh, she ended up trying to run for mayor. She lost, thank goodness. But it's, it was a crazy ride. But street execs did nothing but positivity. A lot of things were pinned on. We did, we did so much charity stuff. And that was something that really inspired me with the new direction I wanted to take in my life. And one of the things that frustrated me was our good news would never spread as fast as the bad news. And I said, I want to hack that. I want to find a way to when we do something that the good news spreads just as fast as the bad news. Because we would have the 
biggest charity concerts every year. The street execs, sixth annual, seventh annual, eighth annual. We would have the biggest artists from the world come in and perform, and we'd collect 40,000, 50,000 toys. News didn't want to talk about that. Two chains, when we did the Davin Santa, we would give away houses, give away cars, give away, like, distressed families, pay off people's rent for a year. But the bankroll fresh thing is something that the, the media obviously wants to hold on to. But, you know, it was tough. We missed bankroll. Bankroll was was going to be, I mean, there aren't too many authentic artists like bankroll, you know, that come out of the city of Atlanta. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to see his legacy all the way through. Mm. Rest in peace, uh, bankroll fresh. Uh, prayers out to his family. For sure. You know, um, you know, as we continue this episode, you know, you think about, you know, what you've been through, you mm-hmm. know, and then the people you've been able to inspire, people you've been able to meet, mm-hmm. people you've been able to be around. You know, uh, you also were able to uh, form a relationship with Gary V. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Back in the Travis Porter days. Really? Early, early Travis Porter days. Early Gary V days, too. Mm-hmm. Very early. Uh there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Mike Boyd. Oh, Mike Boyd. That boy, Mike Boyd. If Listen, if Mike Boyd is wearing, uh, if he unbuttons three of his uh, shirt, you know, the uh, mm-hmm, three buttons, mm-hmm. you know he's living his best life. <laughs> Mike Boyd used to run up on us when we come to New York. He would somehow just know exactly where we were going to be. Like, we were going to be at, this is 50 or something. And he would, like, run up to our, you know, Sprinter van or whatever we were in at the time. And when we get out of the car, he would ask an amazing interview question. Just with this, like a, a flip cam or something. Like back then, like a flip cam. And and I was like, man, your interview questions are really good. And he connected me with Gary V. And it was amazing because Gary actually helped us with some innovative technology very early on with the internet with live mixtapes. We worked with live mixtapes. Like, we didn't work with that piff. Like, live mixtapes was our home. They were When Travis Porter was nothing, they were the only ones who cared about us. Sure. So we, me being an internet guy, I was like, I want to help build up live mixtapes. So Gary introduced me to this technology where we could tweet to download. And I'm like, okay, uh, let's take this technology. Nobody's using it yet. We're going to take this to live mixtapes, and this is going to like just add exponential growth to our mixtapes. And you know, for a while, Travis Porter had the most downloaded mixtape of all time on live mixtapes, and like, like it was very powerful how we did our marketing. But Gary loved what I was doing. There was an interview he did um, a couple of years ago. Somebody asked him, "Who's the next Jay Z entrepreneur in hip hop?" And I was listening to the interview because I like Gary. And I heard him say, there's this guy by the name of CEO Charlie. And he manages Travis Porter and 2 Chains." And I was like, wow. Like, he he looks at me as a as an amazing businessman. And I appreciated that. Yeah, you know, Gary, uh, one thing special about Gary is, uh, you know, that he, you know, you know when someone says something, you just feel like they're talking shit. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, that guy speaks with you know pure like purity, man. Mm-hmm. Like you know when he bigs you up, you know he's talking about from the heart. Mm-hmm. And one thing really special I like about him is I feel like he's reinventing what it is to be nice, mm. what it is to show love. Mm. You know, and 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 you know, give people uh, look at the same time. You know, it's a great 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 segue to, you know, what's your advice to people who have dreams and goals in their life, but they don't have the resources. And time to make those changes. 
Whew. Started getting rid of things immediately. First thing I got rid of was television. I had a business partner. 16 years old. I'm 16 in high school. And I had a business partner. His name is Khan. Owns a website called kicksonfire.com. Oh, Khan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. We're 16 years old, starting all that. Fashion on Fire, Kicks on Fire, SpitcherGame.com, my, my hip-hop website that I started in high school. I did that with Khan. Uh, we go way back. So I get on an airplane, beg my mom. I want to go to New York to meet Khan because we're just on AOL Instant Messenger. We're making money. We're doing great. We're making a lot of money at the time. And, like, I was, like, hardly going to school. Like, our businesses were doing so good that I was, like, kind of, like, you know, just, I like this business thing. And I begged my mom. I said, I want to go to New York to meet Khan. And she's like, no, mm-mm, you're not going to New York by yourself. I said, I can't take you with me. This is my boy. Like, we're going to go, like, play basketball at Sunset Park. Like, we're going to go to the Yankees game. We're going to do business. And I convinced her. The only way I could convince her was I found this, like, nun house. It's like a... It's like a hostel, a nun hostel in the Chelsea neighborhood. It was uh, $22 a night, and it came with like a a banging breakfast. Like it was like the best breakfast ever. And I convinced my mom if I stayed there, they had a curfew and everything. And she, she, I remember at the airport, like I'm walking through the airport, I look back and she's crying. But I land in New York, and I'm like, like at the time, like baggy clothes were cool and I'm wearing my baggy clothes. And for me, it was embarrassing because I was, I was so big and, and the jeans would be so wide at the bottom. I would like have to mm-hmm. like tie them into my shoelaces so they wouldn't drag all over the ground and look look sloppy. And I've got my like iPod shuffle. I'd wear it like a, a pendant. Like it's like, yeah, I'm listening to Gucci Man so icy. And I'm like just walking through New York. I'm the man and I'm meeting Khan. And go over to his house. He lived in Brooklyn. And I go on, on a street called Webster Avenue. He he lived by himself. He was a teenager, lived by himself in a basement. And I said, man, turn on the game. He had a TV. He said, man, I don't watch TV no more. I said, what you mean? Get to, to turn on the game. He said, man, I got to grind, man. I got to get it. And I was like, I've never heard somebody say they don't watch TV. Like, to me, that's weird. But then he was always 10 steps ahead of me in business. We were business partners. He was always 10 steps ahead of me. He could code better than me. He, he got fit. Like, he was, like, super skinny. Then he got fit. Then he was, like, making more money than me. Then he kicks on fire, blew up. I took the music side of things. And, you know, like, I was struggling. I was getting fired from Soldier Boy. I was getting fired from manager. He's, like, kicks on fire, is taking off. And I'm just like, man, I got to get rid of television. <laughs> I, like, learned from that. So I started, like, what can I get rid of? And later in life, uh, last year, when I wanted to achieve my ultimate success, I was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of friends that are bad energy. I'm going to get rid of uh, meat, bad, boom. I'm going to get rid of my business. I'm going to get, like, I just, I got rid of my city. I moved to California. Like, I just started getting rid of things. So, you know, you know, it's crazy because, you know, I'm sure people who are listening to this are not only inspired, but also enjoy the stories. A lot of dope, dope stories. <laughs> But they also probably saying, "Yo, how the fuck does this guy leave? Like, like how are you making money? Like, and I don't mean to get into your pockets, but how do you 
were you able to save some money? Mm-hmm. I lived. I, I took I took a page out of my parents' book. All the years mm-hmm. I was making money, and I lived very frugally. Like being in hip hop, it would be very easy to live an extravagant life. Sure. But I always saved, and I always invested in stocks from a young age. And I would buy a, a, a house, and I would rent it out, and I would I would even like the house I lived in, I would put an extra like little kitchen in the downstairs basement and and put a permanent lock and I'd rent out the downstairs basement and at certain times I'd even have roommates and some of my friends would look at me crazy like Charlie like you two change manager why you got roommates I'm like I'm trying to stack my money like like anything could happen like I had been fired before so I I read Barry Gordy's book uh after I got fired my first time and his book is called To Be Loved and I read that book and I realized I'm not alone. This is just how the music... He was the best ever. Barry Gordy had the biggest independent record label of all time, more number ones than the majors, and every artist left him except two. Smokey Robinson and Lil Stevie Wonder. Everybody else left. And if they can leave Barry Gordy, I got to be prepared for them to leave me too. So let me save this money. Mm. So, so people listening today is is there certain ways or that you would you know tell them to invest in like things that they could try to uh, you know put their money in? Yeah, I started off with stocks. Mm. I started. You off still with- believe in stocks today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just super long term, super simple. I look at one thing. I like things that just make sense. You take the stock market history. And you zoom it all the way out from the beginning of time, what do we notice? It always goes up. Period. Now, it has its points where it goes down, but it always goes up. I'm like, wow, like that, that, that's something I want to invest in. Like, let's get out of all the data. Let's get rid of all people's opinions. And let's just look at a chart. It always goes up. Mm. So I don't have to day trade. I don't have to pick stocks. You invest in the S&P 500 or the, the Dow 30 and just let it sit because mm. it always goes up. If you give it long enough, it always goes up. There are periods of time where it does go down. You know, you, you had a brain tumor, mm-hmm. you know, and finding that out, I'm sure, had to be life shocking. Absolutely. You know, based on your research, you know, do, do you believe that there is a, a natural cure for cancer? Well, mine wasn't cancerous. Mine was benign, but mm-hmm. it was wrapped around my left optic nerve. It was wrapped around the artery that went into my brain, and it was also starting to corrode the top of my spinal cord. Now, when I thought about the basics of a brain tumor, and this can be a touchy subject, so I'm no expert on this, so, you know, full disclaimer, but I had an imbalance in my body, a hormone imbalance. I had a pituitary tumor, mm-hmm. and I'm asking myself, okay, Where's my hormone imbalance coming from? Well, here I am eating all this meat that has hormones. Here I am drinking all this milk that has... I would, like, play basketball and go inside and drink milk. Like, this is, like, what I thought sure. I was supposed to do. Like, And where does a hormone imbalance come from? Well, maybe I'm consuming something that's throwing my body off. When I changed what I was consuming, my body balanced out. It was just that simple. 
I was consuming something that my body was allergic to. When I stopped consuming what I was allergic to and I ate living food, I looked at it like this. I said, okay, if I'm dying and you are what you eat, is what I'm eating dead or alive? Simple question. I look at an orange and that thing is glowing with life. Or I look at something like salt. That's dead. Or oil or steak or chicken. These things are dead. So there's not much frequency coming off of it. It's a low-frequency food. Well, if I eat this high-frequency living food where, like, the, the frequency is coming off of it and I'm eating that, you ever heard somebody say, man, you just look like you're glowing. Mm. Well, well, if you eat things that are glowing with energy, guess what you're going to be? If you eat things that are dead, I was at lunch with somebody, and he was like, it was it was sad. Like, I felt like, you know, like, it's he's not going to make it. Like, I have a friend in Atlanta that's like, I'm afraid in a, in, in a month he's not going to be alive. Like, food is killing us. I was looking for something healthy to eat earlier. Me and Scott, we walked 20 minutes, and we couldn't find something. I didn't want to eat pizza. Mm. I wanted something that was alive. You know, there's an app that Nikki Diamonds put me onto from mm. Diamond Supply. It's called Happy Cow. Okay, <laughs> and and he says you you could find vegan food anywhere. First of all, in New York or L.A., you should be able to find vegan food. Mm-hmm. But he said that wherever he goes on trips, he you know using this app. And, ha- and listen, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not being sponsored by Happy Cow. <laughs> this is what he told me. Thank you. I so need that. Put that in your life, yeah. Charlie CEO. Um, but you know, where, where, where were we? Uh, we were talking about brain tumor. Okay. Then we got into health, eating living foods versus versus dead. Because think about it. Think about it. diet. Die. I don't even like the word diet because mm. it has the word die in it. Right? Like live it. I want living foods, things that are alive. They don't have labels on them too. Like, living foods, like, don't have labels. They're not in a package. They weren't touched by a machine. Like, God was like, hey, I made this thing for you to eat. And it doesn't have a label on it. It just made sense to me. I'm from the South. People from the South aren't vegan. I met with vegan. I thought he was weird. Like, what? Like, I never would have thought I would be vegan. But when I went vegan, it was super easy. I just flipped the switch. People say, oh, was it hard? I was like... As long as my food tastes good, I'm happy. I don't miss meat if my food tastes good. Can you make it taste good? Yeah. Beyond Meat is doing that, man. Beyond Meat is doing something real special. You know what? Uh, iced tea uh, on, a, on a premium peach show. Um, if you internet, if you haven't heard the iced tea episode, go check that out. Let me tell you something. He, he dropped a quote that really sat with me. Mm-hmm. And it said, life is like a gym. Someone to the right of you will always be in better shape, but someone to the left is dying to be in your shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know when you when when you think of that, you know you like damn okay, I really understand mm. what he's saying. You know, can, let me ask, can, can can obese people be happy? Like, could they be happy with with who they are? I see some obese obese people who have thrown in the towel. And have accepted and have found love for themselves and don't strive to to fix their obesity. Mm. I, to this day, have never looked in the mirror 
and have loved what I've seen. Mm. And I would have dreams at night that I would die before I got to know what I, what it was like to look in the mirror and say, wow, like, that's what it's like to be fit. But fit doesn't mean beautiful. Why? Why does that mean beautiful? You know, Pete, I don't think I chose this. I think God wanted me to struggle with this so I could go on this journey. And maybe I'm a great, maybe I'll be a great translator of all the different chapters of what it's like instead of keeping it to myself. Maybe it's like leave hip hop, go on a journey, and tell everybody everything you're going through because somebody has to go through it. And maybe he wanted me to get to a point where like for me, I would I would love to know what it's like to have a six pack. Mm. And just go order one. Cause light, Modelo, Corona. I've never drunk before. I'm already playing. I understand <laughs> what you're saying. But I I want that. I'm an ambitious guy. You know, let me ask you this. Has your mother or father when you were growing up, right? Did they ever tell you like that you were like beautiful or that you were like special? The reason why I say that for is because you've been heavy most of your life, mm-hmm. right? But was it dictated in your house that you were beautiful? Because the reason, you know, you may grow up and, and you may, people may say, you're fat. and be like, nah, I'm beautiful. My parents told me I was beautiful. <laughs> I'm not saying that you don't stop believing and then they say, oh, man, maybe I'm not. So but, there, was, there was an interesting relationship. Um, my mother would always tell me, but that being my mom, I was, like, very aware, like, mom's just going to love anything. And I expected more of myself. So, like... Like, if I, I can't sing, but if I were to sing, my mom would be like, oh, my baby is so good. Yeah. Like, so where I didn't, like, I didn't really listen. I had awareness that I had a problem. So if she told me I was beautiful, I wouldn't even really listen. But she does. My father, on the other hand, um, he was never tough on me, but he was old school. He couldn't understand that I wanted to drop out of baseball because this computer thing was the future. So I'm like, yo, I don't want to play baseball no more. Like, this computer thing. He couldn't understand that I wanted to be near a computer and, like, I wanted to do business. Like, boom, boom, this is the future. Or he couldn't understand how I wanted to play basketball, like, and shoot, like, three-pointers for money instead of, like, working on cars. So my father, being, like, a, a, a man's man, didn't exactly understand. He was always super supportive, was never tough, never criticized me. But having an overweight son who struggles has got to be tough on being a dad. Like, you want your son to be a man. And to see your son struggle physically, and at the same time, he likes computers and he likes basketball instead of, like, you know, under the car working on the engines— I can imagine it being tough on him, but he was he was he was he was pretty sensitive to me. Like he would never like attack me or but he would never tell me like you're amazing. Like he would say, you know, you need to eat slower. Here's a salad. Like here's how to make the salad. He would he would try to guide me down a healthy path cuz my dad was fit. Um but uh but yeah, if my parents told me which they did. I, I wouldn't believe them because I was I was conscious of myself. I knew I had a problem. I needed to fix. Mm. You know, the, a lot of people aren't are unhappy. 
And, you know, we can, we, we can never know. You know, you never know if people are happy. How, how were you able to hide it for so long? Even though I was unhappy, what kept me sane was trying. I would never give up. I ran one marathon and gained weight through that process. I started off at 220, and by the time I was, I actually did the marathon, the 10 months of training, I was 235. So then I said, I'm going to do another marathon. And then I was 240, 250, and I did another marathon, and I got all the way up to 260, 270 pounds through my marathon training. And I'm just like, God, what else do you want me to do? I ran one, I ran two, I'm gaining weight, I'm out eating my training. But what kept me sane is I'll hit this rock bottom, and then I'll come up with a game plan. Oh, well, I'm going to do this now. And that would actually keep me sane, but then it would be this down period and then I come up with a game plan and act on it then a down period so I'm the type just not to give up like if I'm facing adversity I'm going to be like all right cool throw my throw my pity party go through what I'm going through but I'm coming back and that's just what keeps me going until Mm. I ultimately find it but I'm always doing something Mm. and forward momentum is the only time I'm happy you know, it, what's next for Charlie? What's next for... Are we still going by CEO Charlie? No, Charlie Rocket. Charlie Rocket. What's next for Charlie? What's next for you? I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, next year, I'm very excited about going and touching people. Like, I would love, like, how I built hip-hop. Like, 2 chains. we did 250 shows in a year. I'd love to have 250 speaking engagements next year. Touching the people going out and sharing these stories. I feel information is for people's minds. Like Google, I want to know a stat or what's a vegan app. That's for information for our minds. But stories are for the heart. And if we can start conversations with people's hearts, that's when change happens. We don't need more data all the time. Data is great. But what I want to do is I want to spark conversations with people's hearts and show people what's possible. I do want to transform a million lives. I do want to teach people how to dream crazy. I want to, when they walk away, I want them to know the steps of what I do. Since you always believe you could do the impossible, you know, mm-hmm. why did losing weight seem like it's impossible? The addiction, the mm-hmm. triggers, being so stuck. Like, everything. See, I read in a book, I would, like, read books about habits. Like, I'm, like, I'm like going to a shrink because I think I'm losing my mind because of my relationship with food. And poor Scott, like, he would been with me the whole time, and he would get these long text messages, like, me literally losing my mind in the middle of the night because I can't figure this thing out. And for me, it was, I, was, I was surrounded by the triggers. And if you're addicted to something, you can't get rid of a habit. You can replace a habit. Habits don't go away. You have to replace it with something. Because a trigger is going gonna to stimulate an action, and an action is going to have a repercussion. And then repeat the cycle. So for me, if you notice, I didn't just exercise. I, was, I got addicted to exercise. Like, I didn't just run 
I did an Ironman. I didn't just bike. I biked across America. So I changed my addiction. And instead of a business in hip-hop, I had to, in order to save my life, I had to create a business around me being an athlete. It's the only way I could save myself because mm-hmm. I love business. I'm never going to stop doing business. But if business and hip-hop led to all these triggers of food, all right, well, let me come over here. I'm going to be an athlete, figure out how to make this thing work, mm-hmm. inspire people. What books are you reading? Um, I just bought a book about uh, public speaking because <laughs> I want to be good. I want to be good at storytelling. I want to be the best storyteller in the world. I uh, I bought uh, I just bought Richard Branson's uh, autobiography. Um, I'm really excited about that because he demands attention when he does something, and he lives life his way. I'm very fascinated by people who are like living life their way, like. Forget what other people say. I'm going to pave new ground. Mm. So uh, so I just picked up those two books this week. Mm. You know, somebody's listening to this and they're struggling with their, you know, weight loss or even just being overweight, mm-hmm. depressed, you know, stuck, um, you know, maybe just not know what their next move should be. Mm-hmm. What's some advice you have for them? The first thing. Embrace a reinvention. Like for me, I had to say CEO Charlie. It couldn't be just like some little thing like, oh, I'm going to wake up and eat healthier tomorrow. Like, no, no, no. I think we need to go bolder with our reinventions. And we need to like, it's got to become our identity to where, oh, the the term, oh, I'm going to exercise and eat right. It's so generic that it actually doesn't really like stimulate something inside of us. I say pick something big and bold. Tell Everybody, pick an Ironman, pick a marathon, do something so bold and crazy that maybe your wife is like, are you out of your mind? Because being realistic is hard. For example, I look at Elon Musk. He's running like $4 billion businesses at the same time. And I'm like, is that easier than trying to just open up a barbershop or a little restaurant? That might be harder doing something realistic. It might be harder because it's not attracting the people of this bold thing. Like Elon's running four businesses. Being bold might be easier, Pete. Mm. It might be easier than saying, I'm going to wake up and run every day. That might be hard. That might be harder than saying, I'm going to do a marathon. Doing something bold becomes your identity. And I would like for people, for that to become people's prescription. Had you not taken control of your life, where would you be today? I'd probably, I'd probably be, I'd probably, I don't know where I'd be. I, I, I think I'd be dead. Mm. Um, I, uh, if I wouldn't be dead, I'd be alone. Mm. Probably, probably well, in nature, just trying to just sure. ask God I can see that, yeah. what to do. That's why I want to say, you know, and as we uh, end this episode. Um, I want to say this, you know, your journey, okay, has been up, down, sideways, left, right, Mm -hmm. but very inspiring. Most people don't get a chance to try to change their life. Yeah. You're on that journey again. Most people don't get a chance to reinvent themselves. Mm. You're on that journey again. I want to take it back to what I was saying almost in the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to forget where you're going, but I want you to be happy with where you have gone. 
I'm gonna work on that. Pete. Okay, I appreciate that. Now, do we have anything else coming? We got a. Uh, I mean, you should write a book, man. Is this, is this coming or is this can't tell this news, man? Uh, yeah, book is coming. Book is done. Really? I, I flew up to the reason why I'm in New York is because I was meeting with the biggest literary agent. What's that called? Uh, HarperCollins? Or, not HarperCollins. That's uh, a publishing house. Uh, God, what's the other one? Uh, there's lots of pub- this is a literary agent. Okay. His name is David Vigliano. Mm. Met with him for lunch this Fellow afternoon. Italian. Yeah. He did the Pope, Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain. He's done the biggest books in history with the biggest stars. And uh, I told him, because I, I sent him my book proposal, and he was like, yeah, not really interested. You're, you, you need more Instagram followers. And I said, no, 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 no. Let me come meet with you face to face and just feel my passion, feel my energy, and make a decision after you meet me. And I flew up here. Saw him face to face, just like what I would do with the radio stations back in the day. They would see my passion. And he was so excited. We had the best meeting ever. But the book is called The Life and Death of CEO Charlie. Mm, I love it. Can't wait to read it, man. Listen, I'm going to leave the internet on this. At Charlie, that's C-H-A-R-L-I-E. Follow him. uh, Check him out. Send him a note. Tell You know, if he inspires you, let him know that. Uh, You know, if anything... Okay, but more importantly, Charlie, listen, first of all, I wish you all the best. Thank you, man. Um, I want you to continue to strive to be great. Thank you. I want to see you more. This is my goal for you because nobody could ever fully be fucking happy. Right. Okay. This is not like a show where we sit here and fucking bullshit. Right. But I want you to be more happy because you're you're a ball of energy, man. You're inspiring. We we were me and Scott, my business partner and best friend. We were talking about man, big Scott in the building. Big Scott in the building. Scotty can Scotty Moon Boots. Okay, Scotty Moon, Scotty Moon Boots. I'm Charlie Rocket. That's Scotty Moon Boots. Yeah, you're gonna. It sounded like a fucking band about to get together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we never celebrate Scott, and and it's like same thing you're saying. We never celebrate. Where all these great things happen, and the second they happen, we're moving on to the next thing. Like, oh, we've got to do more. And we were we were having a conversation with uh, Omar. He's a Will Smith's producer and business partner. And they, for the past 20 years, were the same exact way. And they made a mandate in their company and in their family that we are going to start. This was about a year ago. We are going to start celebrating. And I'm like, wow, I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. Like, we just had the conversation then we meet Omar and Will Smith, and they were in the same position a year ago, and now they're starting to celebrate. And because Will Smith, like, you know, he's he's happy now. True. Like, he went away for a little while and was kind of in the sure. dark, and he's happy now, and he's celebrating, and they're making it a priority, and I want to work on that, too. You know, you know, one more thing I want to say. It's funny because you've been able to lead your own life. Mm-hmm. 20, 2018, the life, the, the, the what we live in, we're able to do what the fuck we want. Mm-hmm. Do what you love. Mm-hmm. Our fathers grew up, they couldn't do this shit. Right. Some of them weren't happy and we thank them for giving us, you know, life and giving us, uh, you know, opportunities. But when I say like, when you say like addicting, like, it's funny because I, I, when you break bread, it, it's food and you break it. So you know what? Have a meeting at the fucking smoothie place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And celebrate by fucking buying everybody fucking smoothies. That's right. 
I mean, fuck, I love fucking a kale, uh, banana, you know, what, spinach, fucking smoothie. Maybe I have three of them that day. What was day. the first I thing I asked you on the sidewalk downstairs? W- where's there a juice spot or a smoothie <laughs> spot? Yeah. And we couldn't find one down here. But listen, Internet, don't let that ever stop you. Uh, Charlie, keep on inspiring, man. All the best to you. Thank you. you. You know, one of the last things I want to say to you is, is, is you keep on reinventing yourself. And that's what's inspiring, you know? I, I pray you find happiness in whatever you do. Blessings. Into this. We'll see you next episode of the one and only Charlie Rocket Jabbalay. Thank you, man. Cheers. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Peach Show? Email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of podcasts. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And we'll see you next episode. Cheer.